Welcome to the Georgia 2024 show brought to you by the Georgia Record. I'm on the road this week, so uh, if you hear the cars going by, please ignore the noise, but this is the best Wi-Fi we can find uh, since not being in the studio. So we have a great show today. We have Mallory Staples, who ran for Georgia 6, which is going to talk to us about uh, HB 520, which is the mental health bill. We're going to get into Buckhead. We're going to get into the ballot inspections, and we're going to really delve into a lot of areas with some really great guests. It's a packed show. Real quick, before we start, if you're in the Colorado Springs area on March 24th, we're having an event brought to you by armedforces.press, which is our military site. And it's time to go after the Department of Defense, of Defense for what they're doing to our soldiers, sailors, airmen and, Marine, airmen and Marines. We have an event that's gonna be right outside the gate of the US Air Force Academy. And it's gonna have Dr. Ryan Cole, who, who's been talking a lot about the consequences of the vaccine, the turbo cancers, et cetera, uh, T, Tig Tegan, who was at the Benghazi incident, uh, who can talk to you about being left behind, as many of our soldiers were in Afghanistan. We've got multiple other really fantastic guests who are going to delve into all the threats facing our children and our armed forces. So please go to armedforces.press forward slash event and sign up for that. But not just if you're in Sea Springs, have an event at your house. Sign up for the live stream. Have some people over, people that may be on the fence and don't understand what's going on with DOD. I had one woman uh contact me this week her son is joining the air force and she's definitely afraid he's going to be forced to take the vax or encouraged to and she had me talk with him on the phone so this is the event you can do for people in dod who really don't know what's going on so thank you for that we're also brought to you by stony lonesome group stony lonesome group llc.com which is the uh, mission focused focused investing and trusted capital venture capital firm so if you're an investor or you have a company that needs funds in the space of technology that's dealing with Department of Defense, dual-use technology, give Stony Lonesome Group LLC.com a call. With that, I'm going to bring Mallory in. Hi, Mallory. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Todd. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So you were way out in front in the last uh, period of time on this uh, mental health bill. I'm going to let, let you just tell people what it is because people probably don't know what's happening. And I'm going to hit my mute button. Yeah, absolutely. So um, last session, for any of you that were involved in kind of watching the legislation, we had the HB 1013 mental health bill um, that solicited a similar response. I think our response this time has been even stronger because we learned the hard way last session, um, just what can be done and how quickly it can be done and how um, um, terrifying Deceptively, it can be done. Deceptively, it can be done and how terrifying these bills can be. So thanks to the grassroots and a lot of watchdog organizations, um, State Freedom Caucus Network being one of them here in Georgia, um, we were expecting this. They did mental health hearings throughout the summer that the public could listen into. And several of the watchdog groups were doing that. So we knew that they were going to come back with a mental health bill 2.0. And we were postured. We were expectant. You know, we were waiting. So um, the way they like to do things down there is very last minute as far as the calendars and things like that. I feel like it's and I think it's commonly held belief that that's intentional um, because it allows very little time for the grassroots to act to tap their networks, to get information out, to show up and that kind of thing. So even with the heads up, we still had, uh, I believe we found out on a Friday that there'd be a Monday hearing um, for HB 520. 
that's the next uh, mental health bill. And I think it's wise for citizens to think of it in a sense of layering bills on top of each other. Um, through the start of session, post-election, inauguration week, we heard almost every person in a leadership position um, commit to a decade-long fight for mental health. And so um, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. This is not something that they are going to let go of easily. They've made it part of their long-term goals and a top, top priority at that. Um, in addition to workforce housing, you're hearing a lot about that as well. But anyway, for the point of mental health, um, so yeah, so it's HB 520. We are now looking at post-hearing rules committee and vote on the floor. They added a substitute to it. So the bill's been altered from the first presentation of the bill. And I can run through a couple of these things. Um, the, the yeah, please do. Okay. The overarching message to the average citizen is that this bill is a dramatic growth of government. And just high level, anyone who ran with an R behind their name, if you just foundationally take the tenets of the Republican platform, that should be lower taxes, smaller government, less regulation, less spending. It's very simple. This bill is the opposite of all those things. There's nothing in this bill that benefits the taxpayer, that promotes freedom, that limits government, that stops spending. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing redemptive in this bill. So everybody can kind of pick their lane, whatever particular egregious component that is in that that speaks to them. And there's plenty to choose from. And they can make that kind of their tip of the spear as far as speaking out, using their voice to respectfully, but very clearly um, convey this to their senators at this point. Monday's crossover day, where the bills that have been passed in the House and passed in the Senate switch chambers um, for review. It's a similar process. They go through committee, you know, they'll have a hearing, go through committee, go through rules and be voted on if they make it that far. So Monday is a huge day down at the Capitol and it's really the next step. And HB 520 did pass um, the House. Unfortunately, we had three brave and bold legislators. That would be three for all of you listening out of 180, I believe 101 of which are Republicans. Only three voted no against this awful, awful piece of legislation. So that is an issue that I would like for everyone to continue to take up with their representative. If your representative is not um, Charlie's Bird out of Cherokee County, if your representative is not Mitchell Horner out of Catoosa County, and if your representative is not Brent Cox out of Forsyth, they need to hear from you that you absolutely do not agree with or appreciate the fact that they voted yes on a bill like this. And, and, and just to equip your listeners, a lot of what we heard from the reps were, oh, this is a provisional bill. You know, we didn't really have time to dig into it. I'll let the Senate look at it. And when it comes back, I'll see what's in it. Um, that is absolute junk. Their job is to read every bill before they voted on it. And a, a nice metric is if they haven't read it, they vote no. They vote no. Um, and so you need to say, well, it's your job to have read the bill. And if you not only haven't read it and, di and digested it, then you need to be a no moving forward to represent me. We don't give, just give us a few of the most egregious parts of this bill. Okay. So it, is, it is the largest Medicaid expansion and this re revised bill, they added even more language that would expand Medicaid. 
Absolutely. That's a hard stop for any Republican. Republicans campaign on that. No expanding of Medicaid. Um, there's a massive student loan forgiveness component for anyone who has um, studied in college a major remotely related to mental health. They're, they have loan forgiveness. Keep in mind, when Bernie Sanders says his stuff, Republicans call him a communist. But again, only three Republicans voted no against a bill to do just that. Um, and how can you relieve just some loans and not others? I mean, that, that makes that's no right. sense. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's just there's no metric for it. It's just, hey, it's all the mental health people. Right, right. Um, it creates many bureaucratic agencies. I mean, I almost don't even have time to roll through all of them on your program. Um, they're creating a government committee to define what serious mental health illness is. So I want to stop and pause on that. They are creating this massive governmental mechanism that almost doesn't have a target because they haven't even defined what serious mental illness is, but, and, and, and that, that parlays into a lack of data. What are the hard numbers? Representative Todd Jones stood in the well and said, um, when they voted on this on Thursday, was it? Th yeah. That 80% of Georgia families have someone in their family with a mental health issue. I, I, I have yet to see the data for that. That is a sweeping statement. Uh, Representative Charlie's Bird questioned that um, in, 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 in her um, uh, moment where she spoke out and said, hey, parliamentary inquiry here. Um, just you can't just say stuff like that. And, and, and then again, I mean, my point that I've made is if there's such a massive mental health crisis, why aren't they trying to figure out the genesis and the origin of this? What caused this mental health illness? I mean, prior to COVID, in my opinion, we really didn't hear about mental health. So I'm thinking... The government locked people down, told them not to connect with each other, do not go outside. They closed down schools, playgrounds, health clubs. Um, they masked people, confined them. And we saw skyrocketing suicide you know, rates and mental health issues after the government mandated lockdowns. Yet that's not even being addressed or acknowledged. So it's like the government created a problem and then now they're going to grow government. Well, it, it also seems like they're creating a weapon to use in the future against anyone they want to. Yes, yes, they are. They are. And so um, to go on, um, mm -hmm. GDAC, they create the government, I mean, the Georgia Data Analytics Center, which is a massive um, information database that has one person in charge of it. And if that doesn't give everybody chills, I don't know what should. And um, one of the representatives carrying the bill responded, well, we just want to, somebody said, that's, you know, I don't like that. That That is very uncomfortable for me. It sounds dangerous. And they're like, well, we just really want these government agencies. We want to make it very easy for them to communicate. And the citizen said, I don't want these government agencies to easily communicate and have some massive database. Not interested. Um, so that's a, that's concerning. It removes the direct code um, that uh, bars housing authorities from assessing someone's um, criminal record and considering whether they'll be a tenant um, or a renter. So it moves that pr protection as well. And then it um, connects the state of Georgia to HUD, which is never going to be a good idea either. We want less connectivity and partnership, obviously, with the federal government when it comes to how we govern and take care of, of Georgia. That's yeah. not something that we're interested in. So those are a few of the highlights um, from the bill. So uh, what should people do going forward to try to prevent this? 
Um, I recommend showing up at the Capitol. There's so many um, watchdog groups that are letting the citizens know when it when there's the most impact. Certainly the day that this bill is voted on. We need massive, massive presence at the Capitol by the people. Prior to that, um, they need to reach out to the committee members. We're not sure exactly which committee, probably um, public health um, in the Senate will will have a hearing for this bill. But those uh, senators need to be contacted. They need to be called. They need to be emailed saying, please do not vote yes on this. Do not send this bill out. Should that happen and it goes on to rules, they need to get in touch with the rules committee. And then this entire time, I would say consistent and constant contact with your state senator saying, do not vote yes for this bill. And, and, and just simple, clear language. So it's it's the, we have to have our voices heard. We have to have so our voices heard. What's what's the agenda behind this? Is it tyranny? Is it big money? Is it you know, to push drugs? Um, I, mean, what I are think your the pharmaceutical industry, the hospital lobby certainly stands to make billions and billions and billions of dollars. There's the word monitor is in this bill. I cannot tell you how many times. So whoever receives those contracts, uh, whatever companies will stand to make a fortune um, and yes, government control, the growth of government, um, just it's it's hard to even put the genie back in the bottle after this. What, what do you mean by monitor, like surveillance? Is that what they're talking yes, about? Yes. No, yeah. monitoring like um, tags, like bracelets, tracking. Right. Gotcha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Which is electronic. It's electronic, which, which will be in the database, um, yeah. you know, putting. Vaccine passport kind of stuff. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned something, uh, work, workforce housing. Tell me about that, because I've heard that in other states, and it's a little concerning as well. It is. Well, what I, what I hear them doing is pushing this as a right. You know, um, the way we have such an expansive Medicaid, Medicare program is that the original ideology that healthcare is a right um, has to be accepted. And then you look to the government to provide that. And they're starting to do that now. I mean, they're furthering it. We already have Section 8 housing here in Georgia, but that is a massive um, program that I know in the governor's speech with the surplus budget, the $6.6 billion, a significant amount of that was um, allocated or directed towards um, workforce housing. So there's a move for us to subsidize, in addition to everything else, on that back of the average taxpayer, someone else's living expenses. In, in Florida, addition. in Florida, they're pushing that for illegal immigrants as well to come in. And yes, you've got great uh, support in the Rhino legislature in Florida <clears throat> for that. I didn't know that. That's absurd. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean it's like so here it's, in Georgia. There's a bill yeah. um, to provide um, uh, educate college for illegals. Um, I mean, I haven't followed that bill closely, but at this point, Todd, I mean, almost nothing is surprising. We're creating a welfare state. I mean, I sit there and listen to. Um, leadership talk about uh, how many people in these represent how many people don't have jobs and I'm like well mm -hmm. what is the motivation then if, if you're not working to provide for yourself because the government is providing for you the incentive is gone and and yet they marvel and and, th and their way to fix that is to come back and further tax the people that are working it is absolute insanity it really is communism I mean there's no there's not a more appropriate label I don't think well, I think it's quite obvious that Kemp and the whole administration and the legislature most much of it is not working for the people of Georgia they're working for they are not yeah. no they are not yeah. they are not and that's what yeah. people need to get in their face about yes and make it very clear that 
you know, that we're going to find a way through the local level to get you out of power as soon as possible. So, <clears throat> Correct. Like in that, uh, the spending in the surplus budget, which quite honestly should have been a the easiest no vote for every Republican, that money should have been refunded to the taxpayers. That's what happens on a federal level. You overpay, you get a tax refund. This is not complicated. Um, but rather yet, they said they were going to give a tax credit um, and they wrote a bill, HB 162, that funds the tax credit from the $6.6 billion surplus. They did put the property tax credit in there, but it was increased pay for uh, state employees, non-merit based, I might add. So you can perform poorly or excellently and you're going to get the same amount of money. We sent, I think it was like $1.4 billion in education and 400 million of that covered the pay increases and there's no line item. Nobody even knows what the other, you know, $700 million goes to with education, which, you know, seven out of every 10 cents, I think they say 70 cents out of every dollar, however you want to say it goes to education of your tax dollars anyway. And now there's a, you know, a, a big piece of the surplus budget, which again should have been returned to the people is going to fund that subsidizing insurance premiums. You know, these legislators go down there and vote yes to all these new mandates for the insurance companies, which makes it more expensive for them to do business and drives the, the premiums up. And then they force the taxpayers to come in and subsidize the premiums. I mean, you cannot make it up. You know, it's just a circle. Yeah. It's just a tax the people um, hold hands and, you know, dance around the circle uh, that they do down there. And they do it with a smile on their face, telling you they're the greatest thing ever. And they're fighting sure. for you down there. And uh, I think it is literally a psychosis that I, I've never, I mean, this is my first, you know, session under the dome. Mm -hmm. And what I have seen, watched and heard, uh, I feel like you want to talk about a mental health issue. Uh, I think some of these people have a mental health issue that they can look their constituents in the face and boldface lie and be incredulous when they are called out or forced into a conversation with a voter um, about what they're doing down there. Accountability and transparency has been so scarce that it has created this uh, sense of entitlement um, that they have, that they can go down there and absolutely do whatever they want. And so the State Freedom Caucus Network is we're doing everything we can to burst that bubble, um, to to switch, uh, move the, the paradigm shift in the other direction, that, that they are employees of every citizen taxpayer in the state of Georgia. And they're doing a terrible job with the exception of a handful of really, really strong, bold, courageous leaders. Um, the rest of them are just failing miserably. It takes everyone. courage. Yes, it does. Mallory, thanks for coming on. I want to have you back, but uh, you're a wealth of information. Thank you. Uh, I'd love to come on. Thank you, Todd. Enjoy right, the rest of your weekend. I will. Cheers. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Before we bring Sheila on, I want to ask you to go to our no-ad subscription on any of our websites and sign up. It's a few bucks a month, and you will get access to all our sites, not just cdm.press, the Georgia Record, Miami Independent, Connecticut Sentinel, the Manhattan.press, armedforces.press, but all our overseas, uh, Eastern Europe, the Balkans, the Middle East, uh, for a few bucks a month with no ads. So sign up for our no ad subscription. We really need your support. Uh, we're not funded by Zuckerbucks or anyone else. We're deplatformed off of all of Google ads, uh, but we do have some direct advertisers. So please support them if you see their ads. But if you don't want to see ads, you don't want to see pop-ups, sign up for our no ad subscription. Sheila, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. We, we met at our event in Miami recently, and uh, thank you for supporting that. Uh, so 
But you, I am told, are an expert uh, on the whole mental health issue from more of a macro national level. So can you talk about that and what you're seeing in this space? Sure. Um, Able Child has been focused on uh, mental health reforms for over 20 years. And uh, basically what we're seeing here is a takeover by the mental health industry of our legislative process. So if you can imagine in each state that there is um, a mental health committee that operates within our government and it reports directly to the governor and it uh, reports to the state legislators. So it is um, operating behind the scenes outside of the view of the public and they are, it's all industry driven. Uh, the committee is peppered with um, pharma friendly uh, members and they are writing this legislation so so is it is it is it like what happened during covid where they're essentially trying to use medical processes and drugs to take over control of people's lives i mean is that essentially what's going on essentially how it, it's it's not just from covid this has been a long well planned out um takeover of our process it is um basically a committee that is allowed to write legislation it, it has a conflict of interest and then it it um they have a tremendous lobbying um uh, structure within our each state and on the federal level. And so if you think of big pharma as they need somebody to diagnose you in order to write a prescription. So the behavioral health industry is a, is a multi-billion dollar industry. They are needed by pharma because pharma can't write a prescription. They are mm -hmm. manufacturing and producing the drugs. They need the behavioral health apparatus in order to sell their drugs. So tell us about Able Child. Sure, we were founded two moms, myself and Patricia Weathers. And um, at the time my son was seven and her son was seven, I saw her testify before I was meeting with my school and um, she was saying that the school had put her son on Paxil. And if she took him off Paxil, he wasn't allowed to return to school. I happened to be preparing for the same type of meeting at my school in a very affluent town of New Canaan, Connecticut. And I saw her and I was stunned because I was like, I don't want to put my son on drugs. So I reached out to Congress. I got her number. We bonded right away and we decided to create Able Child. That's fascinating because you hear a lot of, uh, you know, consequences from all these drugs that they're putting kids on, whether it be Ritalin and, you know, boys, especially with sexual problems down the road. I mean, so that you think this has been planned for some time to basically have a money machine, a profit machine to create and use children to push drugs, essentially. Essentially, the reason why our nonprofit is called Able Childs is we actually researched the, the origin of how the drugs got into the school system. And um, President Eisenhower was very worried about Sputnik and Russia and the technology race. And so he created grants for the Able Child. Thus, that's where our name came from. And um, Somewhere along the lines, the grants were diverted to the institution of mental health. And um, so this has been a long 
uh, process, very well funded. And the goal is to sell parents on that their children have these mental illnesses. And as of last year, the um, even the uh, um, today's psychology and psychologists have come out to debunk the uh, chemical imbalance um, that was just a marketing plan for pharma. So we've been sold that we have uh, mental illnesses caused by chemical imbalances, which cannot be proven. You can't take a blood test. You can't get um, a brain scan. It's very subjective. And therefore, there's a tremendous amount of misdiagnosing. So what you're seeing in schools is where they're bringing in, um, I guess, a lot of these, you know, in-school health clinics where they'll be able to tag kids and then force the drugs on them without parents' consent. I mean, do you see that as an end goal? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Uh, you know, Able Child has been opposed to this um, route for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, this distribution channel, it's, it's if you really think of a drug dealer, they need to have a distribution channel. And that comes through the Association of School Psychology. It is the only uh, industry that's allowed to operate within our school system. We don't have we don't allow other industries to operate within our school system. So they have 100% access to our children, a captive audience, and then you're called in and told that your child may suffer from a mental illness. Wow. So how can people help Able Child? How can they help you? How can they find out more information all of that? Sure. Uh, well, we are self-funded, so any donations would be greatly appreciated. But uh, we are a valuable sor a source, um, not only throughout the United States, but actually people from all over the world visit Able Child. Even the World Health Organization has viewed uh, our organization. Um, so you can go right online to ablechild.org. Mm -hmm. And we um, have it broken down to all the work we've done over the years. Our big push now is, um, and it has been for quite some time, is to link uh, psychiatric drug use to mass shootings. So we were the first organization to call for federal hearings mm -hmm. into uh, the link between psychiatric drugs and school shootings. Our organization has sued the state of Connecticut for Adam Lanz's mental health records. Mm -hmm. And we're very interested in your call to action in Georgia on uh, this bill. Um, so, you know, you can come on, any parent can come on our website. We usually respond pretty quickly. So we have a paper in Connecticut, the Connecticut Sentinel that started last year. And I see the child issue in Connecticut as a way to flip the state back more red because a lot of the women don't want their kids on drugs. They don't want them vaccinated. They're starting to wake up. How can we help that effort in Connecticut? And what are you seeing in Connecticut as far as is that starting to happen? Are people becoming aware? Well, you know, I, I see that Connecticut is pretty corrupt and yeah. it's both sides of the aisle. You mm -hmm. know, Able Child is in, you know, works with both Democrats and Republicans. We actually mm -hmm. got a pretty decent bill passed on um, MedWatch mm -hmm. um, and prescription drugs in the state of Connecticut. Um, so we work with both lawmakers. Um, mm -hmm. It's a human rights issue. I see that a lot of more, I mean, our organization has been getting attention throughout the country since COVID started because our mission is informed consent. Mm 
-hmm. I do believe a lot of parents don't want to put their kids on drugs, especially young boys. They're often targeted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do I see, I see that there's so much corruption in the political system in Connecticut, especially since Sandy Hook. Yeah. You know, um, I attended all those hearings and they're really targeting the gun owners. Um, and there's a lot of information within that police investigation that was not disclosed. So how parents can work together. I've never seen such a broad reach with different organizations coming together at this point, which is great. I think your newspaper can really make a difference up here. Uh, yeah. I, I wish people just wouldn't wait until elections. Yeah. It's something that's ongoing that you have to be diligent because the mental health and behavioral health industry have a tremendous amount of money and power. They sure do. So they it's sure a matter do. of getting focused on what bills are in session and learning how to navigate and testify on bills. So if you want to get information out in Connecticut, please contact us and we'll help, we'll help do that. So wonderful. I would love to work with you. Thanks, Sheila. Appreciate it. We'll have you back. I'm sure I appreciate okay. you coming on. Take All care. right. Well, good luck with everything. All right. Bye. So now I'm going to bring on our, our partner, William Quinn, Bill Quinn. Before we do that, I want to tell you about Christina Bob's book, stealing your election or stealing your vote. I believe it's called by Skyhorse publishing. A lot of people don't have good information on what happened in the 2020 election, but if you want a, a book that's going to really wake up people and, and give them the truth about what happened during the election and afterwards and even before from the, the viewpoint of Trump's attorney, Christina Bob, a former Marine major, uh, it's a great book. Please find it. It's available everywhere. Bill, thanks for coming on. Hey, good afternoon, Todd. Boy, what a, what a powerful set, uh, set of information uh, so far today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wasn't aware of a lot of that. So uh, thank you for helping put all this together. I appreciate your uh, your work behind the scenes. Um, the Georgia record is really getting impactful, and we want to move that to all our papers and get it to be the same same level of impact on, on the fight. So talk to us about several things. You you want to talk about Buckhead and, and possibly the 520 bill, ballot inspection. I mean, what, what's top of your, your head today? There is a ton going on right now. And um... I'll echo something that uh, either Sheila or Mallory or both spoke to, and that is, you know, the cadence of things happening in the legislature is um, unpredictable at best. Some things seem to move very quickly and make it all the way to either the House or Senate floor and all of a sudden magically are passed. Um, uh, 520 is one of those examples. It moved very quickly through the House and is, in fact, now passed by the House. Um, Remarkable, given that it's not a small or nor trivial bill. Um, other things seem to take quite a bit longer and, and are very short things to consider. Um, one example is uh, Senate Bill 189, which um, pretends to make the um, text portion of ballots the official ballot. And uh, folks may have heard some of my comments previously on this, but it, it appears on the surface to, to mean well. However, if you think about it, the, um, the, some call it the QR code, some call it the 2D barcode, the little code that is printed on every ballot um, would not be removed. Uh, many people assume that it would be taken off. Nothing about the bill says that it will be taken off. 
Um, so it would still reside there, but it's not part of the official ballot. My question is, does that matter? When you look at the contract that underpins uh, our ballot processing system, the electronic voting system, um, within that contract, it actually specifies and has language that says those systems will read that 2D barcode. So nothing about the bill changes the contract. Nothing about the bill takes the QR code off. In, in general, if the intent is to try to get to a point where we have a fully human readable ballot with nothing else on it, um, I think that's that's probably a good thing. I think a lot of people have reflected they, they like that. However, it's, it's, it really doesn't it. make sense to not take it off, right? I mean, it, it, unless it, you have it, some other agenda, it's the old if it walks like a duck theory, you know? Yeah, and I it, it doesn't <laughs> solve the major complaint, which is if I can't read it, how do I know what the system's reading, right? And Georgia law prescribes that um, ballots be readable by a human. So 189 is an interesting as well. Um, you mentioned Buckhead. Buckhead was another example of, gosh, it, it looked like a reasonable proposition by that city, and I bet they would agree. Um, they, um, you know, the leaders of Buckhead have been on uh, Fox News. They've been on local channels talking about why they wanted to do this. They they see the world as, you know, gosh, we're we're contributing a lot in funding to overall Atlanta, probably to the state as well. Um, and yet our crime rate is skyrocketing. We want to do it differently. And um, it was it was frankly remarkable that uh, as this bill got passed out of committee, that uh, Governor Kemp decided to, to send uh, a message through his uh, executive counsel, David Dove, and uh, essentially question the, you know, the legality and, and perhaps the validity of Buckhead considering moving out. Um, I believe the language they used included, do you want to uh, retailer the, uh, the uh, legality and governance of municipalities across Georgia? Retailer. Well, I guess a lot of people now are asking themselves, well, wait a minute, why did this get stepped on by the governor? Why was it tailored that way to begin with? <laughs> well, and go back two, to the way it used to be. <laughs> and two, if you have if you have something and it's tailored and it doesn't fit anymore, what do you do? Exactly. You go back to the tailor and you get it re refitted, or you get a yeah. new suit. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's what's in store for. Essentially, uh, he's saying, why why should we give up control? Um, um, basically, yeah. basically. Yeah. Or and why should we give up the money? I yeah. just before our um, our get together today, I looked up a couple stats. So. The median household income in Buckhead is 109,000 and change. Um, that same stat for Atlanta overall is 68,000. So you can imagine how much funding is coming from Buckhead. Their per capita income is 85,000, and that's more than twice the uh, the Atlanta average of 40,000 and change. So maybe that's the real reason that you know yeah. control is required as we go ahead, go forward over uh, uh, over Buckhead. Couple other couple other notes. Um, you and I, as, as you know, we're, hap uh, we're uh, lucky enough to be with Catherine Engelbrecht and speak to uh, Senate Bill 221, which was modified just before it passed out of committee to include the, uh, an amendment to remove drop boxes in Georgia. And of course, those, many argue, should never have been approved in the first place because they were approved by um, the Senate of the State Election Board. And they didn't have the power to approve such a thing. It had to go through the legislature, which before the 2020 election, it did not. Went through the state election board and was then 
partly ratified through SB202, but after both the election and the runoff. The other thing that Senate Bill 221 includes, which, which is, I believe, quite good, is the ability to look at what's called NCOA data, basically change of address data from individuals that have reported leaving or are reported to have left the state of Georgia or the county in which they were registered um, and should be put in challenge status and potentially removed from the voter rolls if they're no longer here. That's that a huge issue, Bill. You know, down in Florida, where we're pretty active with the Miami Independent, we have brought hundreds of thousands of fake addresses to the attention of the DeSantis administration. And, you know, he's very good on the vaccines and everything else, but he will not touch the election fraud. And, and the big question is why it's Isn't in your face. True? We've done NCOA checks. I mean, they literally will have a street that, you know, has 10 houses on it and they'll like make 10 false addresses on that street, like add a one to every house number and then mm -hmm. send ballots out. And then they get harvested and voted somehow through the postal service and nobody knows how. So yeah. this is a huge problem, not just in Georgia. People need to be aware of this. So, so this bill, 221, would uh, deem NCOA data within certain other constructs, but would deem that sufficient to enter a challenge for voters in Georgia. Um, what most people don't know, and apparently the people that argue that NCOA is error prone, what most people don't know is that most of these services are used by uh, financial institutions and banks and even the federal government to make sure that they're able to communicate to their prospects, their clients, their uh, investors and others. Um, and they, most of them are very rigorous. They use multiple sources of data, they correlate them together, they can report a number of things about um, the registrations that they list. And um, they're, they're very rigorous. They are counted on by lots of entities and to suggest that it isn't worthy to be used for you know, for checking voter registrations is in fact laughable. Um, I will and that, that ties into Eric. I don't know if you were going to talk about that, but the the Eric system that's used across the country by what twenty something states now. Thirty thirty one states in DC. Yeah, it's supposed to handle that and use cross communications. But there was a report out recently. It's actually making the voter rolls more bloated and full of fake voters. Yeah. So maybe, well, maybe that's intentional. Well, one of the interesting parts is uh, the Secretary of State of Alabama, Wes Allen, uh, just removed that state from the use of um, Eric, almost one of his first actions upon being sworn in as Secretary of State of Alabama, and happened to be in Washington, D.C. for other purposes and stopped by their office and found no one. No one, no employees, no servers, nobody managing data. And the question is, well, wait a minute. 31 states have essentially every voter in their state somewhere in Eric's data system. Where is it? And why is it not under public scrutiny? And, and with, the, with the information that came out on Conic, where all the voter rolls, not voter rolls, but voter employees, voter workers, yep. election workers data is actually being resided in China. Yep. So just, just uh, it's curious. I, I wonder what bad news DeKalb County might get at some point in the future because of that. They are... As you may recall, they contracted with Connick and many people objected to it, including their own poll workers. And yet they went ahead and, and said, no, no, we'll be fine. We'll, you know, we'll continue on with our contract in a sense. Yeah. So lots of stuff going on. Highly recommend folks pay attention. Um, they can look up uh, Georgia General Assembly online and they can see every bill that's in consideration, its status, where it is in committee, the members of those committees. And as Mallory and I think Sheila both said, communication 
and visibility to the legislators is uh, paramount to making things one acknowledge because let's face it there's hundreds of bills floating around we want to make sure that eyes are on the ones that have either good good opportunity and promise or bad you know tidings and and trouble troublesome possibilities and, make and sure people still need to be involved at the local level don't give up keep fighting to yeah. take over your local election boards your local local party apparatus school boards all of this begins at the local level so and this is a multi-decade fight so even if you're a grandparent get involved and that's the only way that's going to the only thing that's going to save georgia yep so, very much so very much so bill stay so, on the stay on the call did you is there anything else you wanted to bring up Oh, there. I mean, we could go on for a, for a lot. I mean, there's there's no end to the nefarious mischief going on. But but let's uh, let let's move to the next and yeah, stay on with us. I want to bring on Tamara Favorito, uh, Garland's wife. Tamara, thanks for coming on. Sure. How are you? So, well, you tell us how your husband is. <laughs> is he, okay? he came through surgery this morning, okay. uh, so he's a little bit loopy. Okay. But everything went really well. You know, it okay. was, um, it was kind of a crazy day yesterday. Uh, I think it was his first run down the ski slope mm -hmm. and he took a spill, uh, and then a snowboarder wiped him out on top of that. And he ended oh, wow. up with a hurt hip, but oh, they patched him up. So we'll be home in a few days. Well, good to hear. So you have been involved, I am told with him at the legislature. Yes. In recent weeks pushing for some relief of the ballot issue and others. Tell us about what you found. Yeah, we have actually had a really exciting few weeks in this legislative session. There are some good bills uh, that have uh, come through committee. So uh, we're to the point of crossover, which is Monday, where bills on the House side go to the Senate and vice versa. Um, and yeah, I guess the biggest surprise on the Senate side, uh, we had a bill, it was 221 that they were combining several bills. So there was a lot, there was a lot in it. Um, and they had all this discussion and public comment. And then towards the end, one of the senators spoke up and said, I'd like to, um, have an amendment that we ban all drop boxes, period. Uh, and so they, and there was an immediate second, there was some discussion, but it, it passed. Uh, and so that's uh, been included in a bill that does a lot of other, a lot of other things, uh, including making, um, U.S. making the requirement that U.S. citizens only can be involved in the election process. And this comes out of um, an issue at Fulton County um, where there was someone who was dealing with the ballots and all the tabulation results uh, who was a, a citizen of another country. So Nigeria, we're at, I believe. Yeah. Yes, Nigeria. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So. Um, Tamara, what, why do you think that all this flash of responsible behavior? I mean, what, what caused this? Do you have any idea? Well, I think, you know, the election was very good for us. Um, we've got some good people in leadership positions that really care about election integrity. Um, and, you know, we have a new lieutenant governor 
who basically runs the Senate, and he put all of the the chairs of the committees in place, and he's got the right people in place. Uh, so they're willing to to do the right thing. Interesting. I guess it depends on which issue is because, you know, we, we, we were just talking before about the mental health issue, which a lot of people are completely disagreeing with. So but progress on election integrity, we'll take it. Um, yes, for sure. What, what else should we should our audience know about Tamara? Um, well, Senate Bill 222 came out of committee. Actually, I think that's even past the Senate at this point, and it bans uh, counties and municipalities from accepting private money. And you might recall in 2021, SB202 banned election offices and boards from accepting private money, in other words, Zuckerbucks. <laughs> but the loophole that was still in there was that counties, other offices within the county could accept the monies and allocate it, which is exactly what happened recently with DeKalb Election Board receiving a grant for $2 million. Their finance department accepted it. So this closes the loophole. The one loophole that's still in there is that the state can accept the money and allocate it. And so we're going to be working as that bill comes across to the House side to get the wording amended so that states will also be um, prohibited from accepting the money and allocating it to the election office. So that's a really good bill. Um, now, on the House side, uh, HB 426 passed um, the House Committee on Friday, and that is our key bill to unseal the ballots after certification, make them subject to open rec rec records requests so we don't have to go to court when we have questions about elections like we've done these last two years where we've been waiting for the court system for the Fulton County ballots when we knew we have affidavits that said there were, there were um, counterfeit ballots included. So right. this is a really key bill. Um, we are asking our volunteers to go down to the Capitol on Monday and um, talk to the Rules Committee members to make sure that has, because it has to get through the Rules Committee and it has to get through the floor um, for a full vote before Monday afternoon. So um, Garland and I will not be down there doing that, but we are asking uh, our volunteers to go and do that instead. So that's a key bill. Bill, do you have anything you want to ask? Yeah, just a question on 426. So, uh, Tamara, you remember when the Ethics Committee was looking at uh, 221, there were any number of folks willing to step up and make objections to why the bill wasn't appropriate, um, talking about why NCOA was not an effective, not a trustable data uh, means to gather information about voters. What are the objections that you're hearing on 426, if you can share those, so that folks can understand what points in, in, in support to make of, on the bill? Well, I think there were several in objection. One is always cost. They always come back at us and say, oh, it just costs too much money. It's too much of a burden 
on our election workers to have to respond to these open record requests. Our, our response to that is right now, we're making open record requests for every kind of election record there is because we're trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. But once we have access to the ballots, that's the only thing we have to request. So we believe that it will reduce the burden on election workers. The other objection that some of the committee members had that voted against this bill is the court serves as a protection because everybody could make all these requests. It would be frivolous requests uh, and the court sealing the ballots serves to keep that tempered and it protects the election workers. Um, And we believe that we should have citizen run elections, that voters have the right to see how these elections are counted and we shouldn't have to spend money and years going through the court system to do it. Yeah, the courts play a role I think in this, but if, if memory serves in Pickens County where they had a case um, which essentially hinged on unsealing of the ballots in that county um, at the 11th hour the court and it did to go through court but the court said well you know you're a citizen or you're a citizens group only the election board the board of elections in that county can request that we unseal the ballots so essentially tens of thousands of, of citizens can be blocked by a group of essentially in most counties five individuals who simply don't care to unseal the ballots so you take that and and you um match it up with you know the data that uh, you and garland have famously uh, made public about ballots just you know disappearing misplaced Mm -hmm. can't be produced and so forth you would think this bill would be dramatically valuable going forward and should be supportive right um you know, we actually had an, a clerk of a court, and I'm forgetting which county, who came and spoke in favor of this bill because he believed that that it is the right of the voters to be able to see the ballots. Um, and he didn't see it as an issue. They would still have it. The ballots would still go to the clerk of the court. They just wouldn't have the legal the legal seal on it. It was also, that language was also in Senate Bill 122, which was rolled into Senate Bill 221, which has the Dropbox language in it, but they stripped out all of the, all of the unsealing of the ballot language in there. Um, but as long as we've got 426, that's going to come across if we can merge the two, we should really have a strong bill between both unsealing the ballots and um, doing away with the drop boxes. We'll be looking expectantly to progress tomorrow. So well done, well done to date. And hopefully people will push hard for this to be approved tomorrow. And tomorrow morning, people can call the um, rules committee members and both at the House side and on the Senate side and encourage them to pass those bills out of the rules committee so they can get to the floor and get voted on before tomorrow night. That's great. Tamara, thanks. We'll have you back on soon because maybe maybe we'll have both of you. I don't know. But 
All right. Now we know. Now we know you're you're even more knowledgeable than Garland. So right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we, we won't share that with him. <laughs> I, think, I think I saw Garland just jump up out of his bed in the background. Right. Please, Thanks, please, please, we'll give him, please give him our very best to get well soon. Okay, I sure will. Thanks, both of you. Good to see you. Bye Take bye. Care. Bye. Okay, now we're going to bring on Sarah Thompson, who's got some process uh, information for us on on the political. Uh, I guess way forward in Georgia. Um, did I just, did we just leave, lose Sarah? I think we just lost Sarah. Maybe she'll come back. We had an issue in Miami, which if you go to the miamiindependent.com, we had a uh, Georgia, uh, not Georgia, but a Republican GOP rec or Republican executive committee meeting where it got to the point where we were going to pass a resolution in order to allow new members to come in and see the vacancies in the party and try to come in. And the vice chairman of the GOP in Miami-Dade got up and walked out of the room and pulled all his people out so there wouldn't be a quorum. A scuffle ensued. So this is happening around the country, whereas the process has been hijacked for new people to come into the party. So I'm going to bring in Sarah. She can talk about this. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thank you for having me today. So tell us what you wanted to get out to the public at this point for, for the GOP yes. going forward. We have a very critical time. There are over 120 rural counties throughout Georgia who are going to be having all of their organizational action on March 11th. So mm -hmm. many of these people have not even met before. Many of the citizens in these counties do not know about this event. So if, you, if you're hearing this message and you are in a rural Georgia, Georgia county, and that would be a county below, 80,000 census and you would know you know if, you, if, what, if what kind of county you're in check the computer if you're not sure your population call your your GOP chairperson or organization immediately and ask when and where the meeting is on March 11th the early registration is 9 the uh, cutoff time to show up is 10 a.m. you're going to have caucuses first and then you're going, so you're going to form and organize your caucuses. Your county may only have one or two caucuses. Um, you might have uh, seven or eight. I'm in Bullock County. We had 16. We're one of the newest over 80,000 counties. So it'll probably be 16 or less caucuses or precincts, voting precinct caucuses. And then right after that, you're going to have your county convention and you're going to elect your county officers for the next two years until 2025 through the election cycle. So it's very, very important that you show up, you engage, even if you've never done politics before, um, bring five or 10 friends, people that you can trust, people that you know, people from church or civic organizations or your children's programs. Go, engage, represent, be brave. This is the lowest level of your election franchise. So the over 80,000 counties are having county conventions that day. And we've been working the past month to get our county officer uh, situations worked out. So people, patriots tend to be challenging the establishment. There are some patriots who are going to be reelected. But what we're trying to do is, you know, stop the merry-go-round of people just switching horses on, on, and get people engaged who are representative of our interests, whatever it takes. So some of the people will get to run from the floor. Many of them have had to submit applications before now who are in over 80,000 counties. But, you know, this is the time for grassroots to show out. There should technically be uh, 100,000 people participating in caucuses. And 
you know, of course, Georgia is not even near that because a lot of this information is suppressed. So um, I just want to get that out there, encourage everybody, you know where you need to be on March 11th if you're hearing this message. You need to be at your GOP caucus and convention reorganizational meeting. Clear your calendar. If you've got something scheduled, clear your calendar and get there. So I have a, a couple questions, Sarah. This is great yes. to be getting us out. This is only six days away, isn't it? This is yes. Saturday. So we're yes, Bill. we're right up against. So based on on the way you've seen um, and you, we believe um, these conventions and caucuses should normally run, I, there's candidates for the various slots um, for the, the county leadership that have already signed up. Is that correct? They've signed up as candidates for those? So it depends on how it's been done in each county. Each county nominating committee has a different procedure they can prescribe. Mm -hmm. So technically, a lot of them have asked for applications to be submitted in advance. The nominating committee is then supposed to interview and deliberate and present a nominating committee report to at the convention that day, along with a district proposed district uh, delegates and state delegates. Mm -hmm. And you can um, strike and replace from the floor. If there's somebody that you don't like on that list and you want your other, you know, your, your patriot friend, you can make a motion to strike and replace. So that's something that people don't really realize. You don't have to just take the report. You know, a lot of times it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's the rhinos who made the list, but you want some patriots to go up and represent you higher. I hope that makes sense. I think so. Now, so you, are, are you suggesting that not everybody is, is America first patriots? <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> there's still a lot of rhinos that are riding them. I don't know how a rhino rides a merry-go-round on a horse. I really don't know, but right. but they sure they sure like that merry-go-round. And here in Bullock County, where they're trying to get a former chairman, who nobody knows, like he because he hasn't really done good organization, mm -hmm. uh, to be the chairman again. They're putting the, the the existing chairman back on another horse for secretary. Um, and it's just, uh, I mean, they haven't, they have done no training of precinct chairman in this county, given no data during elections at all. They've kept the organizational level in Bullock below 20% for a decade or more. And, you know, 5% below five, barely 5% participation in caucuses. And they want to get back on the merry-go-round. And we're like, hmm. maybe not. So once these county conventions are over, what's the next big event that happens in across the counties in Georgia, uh, Sarah? Well, April 22nd, district uh, conventions, there's 14 mm -hmm. congressional districts, and then there's the state convention, June 9th and 10th. Now, anybody can attend those events. It's a really great place to go and mingle and network, even if you're not a delegate. Mm -hmm. This is the time to, um, if you didn't go to caucuses and you're in a big county, your delegacy opportunities are kind of, you know, like, it's you kind of miss the boat, but all the rural counties, you guys can get in there and you can get you can get anywhere. Uh, if, if you're rural, you can go all the way to state. Um, if you, you know, volunteer, say you're available, just insist. I would love to represent my precinct at district or state. Um, those rural counties, over 120 rural counties really have a great opportunity on Saturday, March 11th. Sarah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your uh, doggedness on this subject like and actual. coming back on again. Yes, goreclaimgeorgia.org. Say that one more time. Uh, goreclaimga.org is where you can get a bunch more resources. Um, or goreclaimga.com. Either one is a great place to go. Thank you, Sarah. See Thank you, you soon. Guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.
So before we close, I want to make sure that if you're in the Colorado Springs area, go to armedforces.press forward slash event, sign up for our event on March 24th. But even, you know, there's a lot of military in Georgia and there's a lot of pain going on with the vaccines and other issues in Georgia in the DOD. So get the live stream, have an event at your house, stream it for all your friends, family, military members, dependents. Uh, it's armedforces.press forward slash event. Bill, you got anything else? No, that's it. Um, ton of ton of information. We may have, <clears throat> as we get through um, crossover day tomorrow, we may have uh, more to report. So do watch, please, georgiarecord.com. And, uh, you know, we, we may have enough to, to fill another show before too, too long. We might not be able to wait till next Sunday. We'll see. Yeah, we're doing these legislative updates, which are fantastic. Uh, Sign up for our no ad subscriptions. Get involved with us. You know, share videos, fire hoods of information in today's nation. So we we have content section, but we need to get bigger. So thank you all for our audience, and uh, we'll see you next week. Great.